Welcome to Poems for Company. I'm your host, Brian Dillon, and this is another of many episodes in which I read and talk about poems that are thematically related. Occasionally, this show will feature one or two specific poets with all poems by or about those one or two individuals. Today's show is one of those episodes. Our theme, Ancient Chinese Poetry, and I will feature the work of two poets. We may hear these poets discuss concerns that all of us think about in the 21st century. Maybe these two poets will suggest how to adjust certain of our attitudes. Tao Qian writes in the first person, states directly, I remember this, or I worry about that. And we may presume his poems are at least partly autobiographical. One feature of note, he took a government position to support his family. In this required, he moved from home. He said, Whenever I have been in official life, I was mortgaging myself to my mouth and belly. He called this the period when he fell into the web of the world's dust. And he was eager to exit that web. His poem, Returning to the Fields, details his homecoming after his unpleasant time away. This is Tao Qian's poem, Returning to the Fields. When I was young, I was out of tune with the herd. My only love was for the hills and mountains. Unwitting, I fell into the web of the world's dust and was not free until my thirtieth year. The migrant bird longs for the old wood. The fish in the tank thinks of its native pool. I had rescued from wildness a patch of the southern moor and, still rustic, I returned to field and garden. My ground covers no more than ten acres. My thatched cottage has eight or nine rooms. Elms and willows cluster by the eaves. Peach trees and plum trees grow before the hall. Hazy, hazy, the distant hamlets of men. Steady the smoke of the half-deserted village. A dog barks somewhere in the deep lanes. A cock crows at the top of the mulberry tree. At gate and courtyard, no murmur of the world's dust. In empty rooms, leisure and deep stillness. Long I lived, checked by the bars of a cage. Now I have turned again to nature and freedom. That's Tao Qian's poem, Returning to the Fields. He leaves a public world of professional careers and chooses to dwell in a simpler private world. Living as a recluse in the present appeals to him much more than striving for a higher governmental position in the future. He presents this as a personal choice. But it's also true that Buddhism spread through China 
in Tao Qian's lifetime, and Buddhism encouraged a retreat to a non-competitive, non-ambitious private life. Tao Qian writes at the end of the 4th through the beginning of the 5th centuries. Yet there are values he expresses in a straightforward way that continue to appeal to many people today, especially those who find their work life a grind, the web of the world's dust. He appreciates the simplicity of a quiet home, and as the next poem indicates, he enjoys living near a few neighbors to talk to. Are they gossiping? Not according to this next poem. Are they confining their remarks to impersonal claims about the weather? Again, not according to this next poem. Instead, picture them huddling over a work of literature they've unscrolled that they read aloud and discuss. This is Tao Qian's poem, Moving House. My old desire to live in the southern village was not because I had taken a fancy to the house, but I heard it was a place of simple-minded men with whom it were a joy to spend the mornings and evenings. Many years I had longed to settle here. Now, at last, I have managed to move house. I do not mind if my cottage is rather small, so long as there's room enough for bed and mat. Often and often the neighbors come to see me and with brave words discuss the things of old. Rare writings we read together and praise. Doubtful meanings we examine together and settle. That's Tao Qian's poem, Moving House. Another translation presents the final two lines this way. A good poem excites our admiration. Together, we expound the doubtful points. Imagine that. Reading and talking about poems outside of a classroom. You and your neighbors reading together, aloud, praising the poem, examining doubtful meanings. In one of his short poems, the Irish writer Seamus Heaney paid tribute to an ancient Chinese author. He says, It's enviable stuff, unfussy and believable. Talking about it isn't good enough, but quoting from it at least demonstrates the virtue of an art that knows its own mind. I'll take Heaney's advice and quote some more from Tao Qian's poetry. In this next poem, a nosy neighbor knocks on the speaker's door, offers advice, and the speaker defends his way of life. So, after six lines setting up the encounter, a brief dialogue unfolds in this poem, with the nosy neighbor speaking first. This is Tao Qian's poem, where the title is the same as the opening line. 
In the quiet of the morning I heard a knock at my door. In the quiet of the morning I heard a knock at my door. I threw on my clothes and opened it myself. I asked who it was who had come so early to see me. He said he was a peasant coming with good intent. He brought a present of wine and rice soup, believing that I had fallen on evil days. You live in rags under a thatched roof and seem to have no desire for a better lot. The rest of mankind have all the same ambitions. You too must learn to wallow in their mire. Oh, man, I am impressed by what you say. But my soul is not fashioned like other men's. To drive in their rut, I might perhaps learn. To be untrue to myself could only lead to muddle. Let us drink and enjoy together the wine you have brought. For my course is set and cannot now be altered. That's Tao Chien's poem, In the Quiet of the Morning, I heard a knock at my door. Well, this neighbor may be nosy, but at least he had the sense to bring over some wine and rice soup. In his life away from career advancement, Tao Chien's speaker enjoys reading, as the next poem makes clear. The poem, Reading the Book of Hills and Seas, strikes a balance between labor and leisure. The speaker has finished his planting and now takes time to sit back and read. The, the book that this poem refers to includes the story of King Chu. It's an illustrated travel narrative of fantastic places outside of China. This is Tao Qian's reading the book of hills and seas. In the month of June, the grass grows high, and round my cottage thick-leaved branches sway. There is not a bird but delights in the place where it rests, and I, too, love my thatched cottage. I have done my plowing. I have sown my seed. Again, I have time to sit and read my books. In the narrow lane, there are no deep ruts. Often my friends' carriages turn back. In high spirits, I pour out my spring wine and pluck the lettuce growing in my garden. A gentle rain comes stealing up from the east and a sweet wind bears it company. My thoughts float idly over the story of King Chu. My eyes wander over the pictures of hills and seas. At a single glance, I survey the whole universe. He will never be happy whom such pleasures fail to please. That's Tao Qian's reading the book of hills and seas, whose last line is, he will never be happy whom such pleasures 
fail to please. Tao Qian's speaker values his solitude. He's not opposed to maintaining friendships, but they need only be entertained in small doses. As the poem says, In the narrow lane there are no deep ruts. Often my friend's carriages turn back. Today's second featured poet was born in the 8th century, nearly 350 years after Tao Qian died. Po Chuai, like Tao Qian, also immerses himself in his natural surroundings. He too disdains career employment that may seem impressive to others, and like Tao Qian, Po Chuai finds joy in simple pleasures. One distinction between these two poets, at least evident in the poems I've chosen, is that Tao Qian seems to prefer to deal with friends on a limited basis, whereas Po Chuai values friendships. This is evident in his poem, The Letter. In this poem, the speaker and his friend had to go their separate ways, and the speaker dreams about his friend. Then he wakes up to receive a letter from the very friend who just appeared in his dream. The poem includes a two-sentence preface, which, of course, I'll read first. This is Po Chuai's The Letter. The Preface After I parted with Yuan Chen, I suddenly dreamt one night that I saw him. When I awoke, I found that a letter from him had just arrived, and enclosed in it a poem on the Polonia flower. And the poem itself. We talked together in the Yongshu Temple. We parted to the north of the Xinjiang Dyke. Going home, I shed a few tears, grieving about things. Not sorry for you. Long, long the road to Lantian. You said yourself you would not be able to write. Reckoning up your halts for eating and sleeping, by this time you've crossed the Shang Mountains. Last night the clouds scattered away. A thousand leagues, the same moonlight scene. When dawn came, I dreamt I saw your face. It must have been that you were thinking of me. In my dream, I thought I held your hand and asked you to tell me what your thoughts were. And you said, I miss you bitterly, but there's no one here to send to you with a letter. When I awoke, before I had time to speak, a knocking on the door sounded. Doong! Doong! They came and told me a messenger from Shang Chu had brought a letter, a single scroll from you. Up from my pillow, I suddenly sprang out of bed and threw on my clothes all topsy-turvy. I undid the knot and saw the letter within, a single sheet with thirteen lines of writing. At the top, it told the sorrows 
of an exile's heart. At the bottom, it described the pains of separation. The sorrows and pains took up so much space, there was no room left to talk about the weather. But you said that when you wrote, you were staying for the night to the east of Changchu. Sitting alone, lighted by a solitary candle, lodging in the mountain hostel of Yang Cheng. Night was late when you finished writing. The mountain moon was slanting toward the west. What is it lies aslant across the moon? A single tree of purple polonia flowers. Polonia flowers just on the point of falling are a symbol to express thinking of an absent friend. Lovingly, you wrote on the back side to send in the letter your poem of the Polonia flower. The poem of the Polonia flower has eight rhymes, yet these eight couplets have cast a spell on my heart. They have taken hold of this morning's thoughts and carried them to yours the night you wrote your letter. The whole poem I read three times. Each verse ten times I recite. So precious to me are the fourscore words that each letter changes into a bar of gold. That's Po Chuai's poem, The Letter. I'm willing to believe Po Chuai dreamt of his friend who was so far away from him and then woke to a messenger delivering a letter from this same friend. And I'll believe that even though a mountain separated the two, the postal system came through for them in the 8th century, no less. A letter of 13 lines with a poem of eight couplets on the back. Such a gift. The power of friendship is again on display when the speaker is ill and a friend drops by to engage him in tranquil talk. This is Po Chuai's poem, Being Visited by a Friend During Illness. I have been ill so long that I do not count the days. At the southern window, evening, and again, evening. Sadly chirping in the grasses under my eaves, the winter sparrows morning and evening sing. By an effort, I rise and lean heavily on my bed. Tottering, I step toward the door of the courtyard. By chance I meet a friend who is coming to see me, just as if I had gone specially to meet him. They took my couch and placed it in the setting sun. They spread my rug and I leaned on the balcony pillar. Tranquil talk was better than any medicine. Gradually, the feelings came back to my numbed heart. That's Po Chuai's poem, Being Visited by a Friend During Illness. The speaker was losing track of time. 
I have been ill so long that I do not count the days, he says. The speaker had the sense of time passing uneventfully at the southern window evening and again evening. But the friend's visit upsets his monotony, for after the visit the feelings came back to the speaker's numbed heart. This poem certainly is unfussy and believable, as Seamus Heaney would say. The translator for all of today's poems, Arthur Whaley, wrote that these ancient Chinese poets idealized friendship among men. Their emotional ties were with other men. They observed a dismissive silence in their poetry in regard to their wives or concubines. In contrast, European poets idealized romantic love between a man and a woman. That's a most curious cultural distinction and certainly applies to Pochuai's poems especially. We started the set of poems by Pochuai with the letter, which describes a dream the speaker has of his male friend whom he misses, and he wakes up when a messenger delivers a letter with a poem from this very friend. The final poem for today also features a dream. In his poem, A Dream of Mountaineering, Po Chuai asks this question. When we dream of our personal past and we watch ourselves in action when we were much younger, do we have the body and vigor of that younger self? Is that what your dream director grants you? The poem's epigraph tells us Po Chuai was over 70 when he wrote this poem. This is his poem, A Dream of Mountaineering. At night, in my dream, I stoutly climbed a mountain, going out alone with my staff of Hollywood. A thousand crags, a hundred, hundred valleys. In my dream journey, none were unexplored and all the while my feet never grew tired, and my step was as strong as in my young days. Can it be that when the mind travels backward, the body also returns to its old state? And can it be, as between body and soul, that the body may languish while the soul is still strong? Soul and body, both are vanities. Dreaming and waking, both alike unreal. In the day, my feet are palsied and tottering. In the night, my steps go striding over the hills. As day and night are divided in equal parts, between the two, I get as much as I lose. That's a dream of mountaineering, by Po Chuai. Enviable stuff, as Seamus Heaney said about select ancient Chinese literature. Unfussy and believable, 
an art that knows its mind. The poems I read today are deceptively simple, and yet they invite many rereadings. And I'm going to reread that last poem once again. Pochuai's A Dream of Mountaineering. Written, as the epigraph says, when he was over 70. At night, in my dream, I stoutly climbed a mountain, going out alone with my staff of Hollywood. A thousand crags, a hundred hundred valleys. In my dream journey, none were unexplored, and all the while my feet never grew tired, and my step was as strong as in my young days. Can it be that when the mind travels backward, the body also returns to its old state? And can it be, as between body and soul, that the body may languish while the soul is still strong? Soul and body, both are vanities. Dreaming and waking, both alike unreal. In the day, my feet are palsied and tottering. In the night, my steps go striding over the hills. As day and night are divided in equal parts, between the two, I get as much as I lose. Pochuai's A Dream of Mountaineering For today's show, I relied on just one translator's versions of these ancient poems. Other versions are available in book form and online. A number of these translations may lead us to believe that Tao Qian and Po Chuai are currently alive, minding their own business, living on a small plot of land, perhaps in Washington or perhaps in Oregon. If you're interested in any of the poems read here, you will find a list of the authors, poem titles, and book titles by going to kmun.org. There, click on the podcast tab, and you will see the names of all the podcasts KMUN airs, including Poems for Company. When you click on this show's title, a credit line for each poem appears. Our show's theme music is Philip Alberg's Going to the Sun, available on his CD live from Montana at sweetgrassmusic.com. Thank you for listening today to Poems for Company. <laughs>